welcome to the Xenothesis podcast. In this episode, episode 67, we're covering chapters 7 and 8 from part 3 Imago of book 3 Imago of the Xenogenesis trilogy by Octavia E. Butler. My name is Richard Acton and I'm joined on this uh, treacherous mountaintop by my co-host. Michael Glinka. Hi everyone. Yeah, I need extra pair of hands to, to, to traverse mountains like they, they're doing, like uh, Jodas and Eeyore. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah, the extra arms. <laughs> that'll be uh useful in climbing i think <laughs> i to be honest like i always uh as a kid you know when spider-man uh movies came out and there was the the dr octavius right mm-hmm. and he had those like me- metal arms i was like oh my god i want to make something or have something like this so useful like you can just like do stuff with other you know by controlling those arms like i want it Mm-hmm. Yep. God damn it. Yep. Come on, technology. Extra hands, definitely uh, <laughs> definitely a useful addition. <laughs> no, I suppose it's the um, the subsequent storage of the extra hands. I don't know, maybe go like the General Grievous route and have them like split. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, be, uh, to be fair, I don't know, imagine, I cannot imagine how to sleep on the side because I'm the type of person that sleeps only on one side or the other. So, mm-hmm. and it's already difficult to arrange my arm so it doesn't go numb completely during sleep. So exactly like, my point, yep. Yeah, so it's just like, <laughs> a second one is like, what do I do? Is like, unless it's like, I don't know, I can unhinge it from somehow if like the, the joint is different to the one that we normally have and just I can like pop it out and just put it to the side or something. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, convenient. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just learn to dislocate it and then pull, uh, you know, and put it back in <laughs> when needed. Detachable. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes. Yeah, so, so aside from that immediate tangent, shall we oh, yes. uh, get into the <laughs> get, get into your predictions for for chapter seven? Sure. Uh, so. In my prediction, I put in that Jodas and Aero would not be able to stop themselves and will follow the group because, you know, that's what Don Cali do and that's what will bring chaos and misery. That's exactly what I wrote. But what I meant mm-hmm. by it is that, you know, the fact that Thomas and Susan will be taken away, they will not be able to, you know, just not follow, not just wait a few days for them to miraculously come out by themselves. No, it's going to be like, we have to follow them now. Let's mm, do okay. it. And, you know, so that they, they have a little bit more restraint than that. <laughs> yeah, they're a bit restrained. They're following them, like, you know, on the mm. side, you know, the, but it's still like, I generally thought there's going to be like basic, you know, rumble style, like running after them type of situation, snatching two other humans for air and then like, oh, sayonara kiddos and just. Okay. <laughs> but no, no, they're more like, uh, they're taking a bit more a careful approach. Hmm. Which I, uh, I, I suppose makes sense, right? Oh, the yeah. Leo and Carly are usually fairly patient, but um, uh, yeah, it, 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 I could I could definitely see the the tension there because there are certain things about which they are not yeah. very patient. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So that's that, that's mm. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I guess mm. let's get to our uh, chapter seven summary because mm-hmm. lots of to lots to discuss, lots to uh, talk about. So. Like two Spider-Men, Jodas and Ayer climbed around the terraces and cliffs, getting up higher and higher in the mountains. And having four arms really helped with that. On the way, uh, they would feed on some food and collect some genetic material, you know, uh, as Onkali do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And I just uh, this uh, little setting where they're kind of up on this hill above the main human settlement. I mm-hmm. wanted to just note that Octavia hiked um, uh, Huyana Pichu, the tallest mountain in the the um, okay like Machu Picchu range, in in 1985 before she actually wrote the Xenogenesis trilogy. Um, oh, the, the, um, it was what, 87, I think, when she wrote Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It was like a research trip to to look into the setting for where she wanted to do the. Oh, the I see. Books. I see. Um, uh, I think as part of. Um, I think she wanted to do that as as an uh, uh, an aside anyway. But you know, the the hiking stuff um, was I think an interest of hers. But yeah, also used it as research material for for the setting of uh, this book. So this this location may well be inspired by the you know, the Inca Inca settlements at, at Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, this was kind of like. After her initial commercial success with the the Patnist series, but uh-huh. before her MacArthur Fellowship, which was later in in ninety five, so I she see. Uh, probably paid for it with the uh, the proceeds of the the Patnist series. I see, I see. Mm. To be fair, I can understand why she picked this setting because I mean, a hidden uh, villages and towns made of of like rock in the mi- very high steep mountains. What? How else? You know? I mean, generally, like and. In most cases, you know, if nuclear web, uh, war starts, like I don't think many nuclear warheads are going to be heading towards those mountains or anything. So it pretty make, much makes sense that like humans would mm-hmm. find those settlements and then try uh, resettle them. Yeah, yeah, the sort of remote mountainous regions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I imagine Machu Picchu would have been uh, visible to the Ohankali from orbit. So oh yeah, maybe they I- just. Uh, didn't think it was worth bothering with because it's uh, basically just you know rocks at this yeah. point. It was all... I mean, <laughs> probably by the time when the, you know the whole war started and when the humans were there, like probably not many people were actually you know like present around this. So the Onkali just mm-hmm. you know rolled over the the area and they were like, okay, there's nothing here, mm-hmm. and probably you know not many humans are gonna live here. So let's move on and then pick a better spot. And then like they did, but then they didn't realize that the humans are pretty. Uh, resilient and they will mm-hmm. climb anywhere they want so that's that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so a return to a uh, human occupation of Machu Picchu for uh, I don't know what uh, 600 odd years from now to then 200 300 or so into the future so yeah know, like almost a thousand years <laughs> yeah absolutely. intervening time of unoccupied unoccupied uh, by actual people and then mm. well there's only three people <laughs> so not that many well mm. three people mm. there i mean the villages around are surrounded by full of people true so. true mm-hmm. so yeah at uh continuing on at some point they encountered three humans up in the mountains the uloi climbed the slope trying to avoid beaten paths so not to bring attention to themselves once they got close enough though they found a stone cabin inside of it two people sleeping Jodas couldn't see the third one until Aira pointed out that uh, the other one is on the higher level. This is another you know, area that uh, it, it can sense it. Aira was so focused on the couple that it only said, I want those two. And when <laughs> Jodas wanted to try it, warn it, it was already sort of gone. <laughs> yeah, so the, the quote here is, I think, um, Aira, there are hundreds of other humans down there. You'll have a life. Be careful who you give it to. Um, I was very lucky with Jesus and Tomas. So, um, yeah, and then Eeyore's the, response was, go up and keep the third human from bothering me. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it uh, might be a little bit um, 
someone's uh, rushing necessarily yeah, yeah someone is, is like in a really massive heat um so yeah, yeah. having said that the only option Jodas had was to go upstairs and take care of the third human. Um, it was more of a cave than a house. As Jodas entered, the man inside awakened. Jodas could see him very well with its infrared vision, so it quickly grabbed the man and put a tentacle around his mouth so he wouldn't shout. Initially, the man tried to fight and beat Jodas, but eventually calmed down enough to have a conversation. And here's a paragraph from the book um, describing the, ma the man. The male I held must have been more at home in his tiny cave than most people would have been. He was tiny himself, half the size of most human males. Also, he had some skin disease that had made the ruin of his face, his hands, as, and much of the rest of his body. He was hairless. His skin was as scaly as those of some fish I'd seen. His nose was distorted, flattened from having broken several times, and then enhanced his fish-like appearance. Strangely, he was free of the genetic disorder that Jesusa Thomas and so many of other people of the village had. He was grotesque without it. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, and, uh, hmm? go, go on, yeah. go on. Because I was going to say, it's interesting. Like, it's, I, I'm not sure what sort of conditions would, would that be. Yeah, so I, I was trying to figure out if there was a specific like um, variety of dwarfism that had that kind of combination of, of um, symptoms, uh -huh. uh, specifically the ichthyosis, the, the scaly skin, ichthy mm -hmm. from, from fish, uh, yep. meaning that's the scaling for the etymology of that, and, and alopecia, the, the hair loss thing. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I couldn't find with some quick searching uh, a, a subtype of dwarfism that has that as a sort of prominent set of features. There might there might be one that I'm not aware of, you know, not, not a an MD, not a specialist in that kind of thing. So yeah. maybe there is, and there's a lot of different varieties of dwarfism. So, um, I mean, one of the things that I found that might roughly fit is Bloom syndrome, mm -hmm. um, which that you get kind of um, occasionally that comes with um, alopecia. It's usually a bit kind of patchy and, and, and transient, okay. um, but it, it does have some skin conditions associated with it, um, which, uh, sort of photosensitive rash, um, lack of pigmentation, mm -hmm. uh, the sort of uh, the so-called cafe au lait spots. Um, which is actually what they're called. <laughs> you have these sort okay. of like, you know, coffee-colored skin spots. Um, and that's an, an autosomal recessive condition, um, which would fit with uh, it, it being um, more prevalent in a, uh, uh, a community with a lot of consanguineous uh, uh, reproduction. Uh, <laughs> I love that word. Inbreeding. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Consanguineous meaning uh, con, same sanguine blood, yes. of the same blood. Um, so... Um, yeah, although that, that the Bloom syndrome thing might just be a bit of an availability heuristic bias thing for me because I, I know of Bloom syndrome because it comes up in the DNA repair literature quite right. a bit. I see. It's a, a genetic condition where the, the, there's a helicase called the Bloom helicase named mm -hmm. after the, the guy uh, Bloom, um, and that has a role in resolving forked DNA structures in, in homologous repair. Right. Um, so um, homologous repair is where the... Uh, DNA is being repaired by uh, making a copy from the other chromosome. Effectively, right? you've got a section that's broken, a double strand break of some kind, and then you uh, go and get a get the other copy from the other chromosome, and uh, you form this sort of uh, holiday junction. There's a fairly complicated forked mm -hmm. DNA structure that lets you copy the the DNA from the yeah, other yeah. chromosome into yeah. your um, repair structure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, it that's could the, be that I, was my, I... my guess, but I don't know. But that's a, yeah, very much a guess. I suspect that maybe uh, it must be some sort of dwarfism, but it might not be even related to any of the conditions. It could be just an addition to 
what you no know, ever else was you know you know several yeah, generations yeah. of inbreeding so who knows this could easily be a, a combination of different genetic conditions yeah um, or, or even a novel one um, yeah, yeah yeah so yeah uh the man initially was very apprehensive towards jodas uh when asked if he lives here alone and I, I thought that was a bit of a euphemistic way of putting what was in the text because Jordas's <laughs> opening line was do you live here because you of the way you look <laughs> which is like speech zero right? like, what? yeah um yeah and then the the, the response of the the man in the cave was uh, he cursed uh, me at great length was <laughs> the- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was trying to be more um, diplomatic the way, but yes, that's exactly what Jodas yeah. said. Jodas wasn't. Yeah, it's just like, just like, what do you think? It's just like, okay, nice one, Jodas. Great way to start making friends. Yeah, the um, the Ankali don't have great manners, right? No. <laughs> They're not good on tact. <laughs> They're no. very uh, direct. Exactly. So yeah, but. When Jodha said that it can heal him and let him grow, the man changed. The man would, you know, be healed and given the option to join them on their way back. He wouldn't believe Jodha's when the Ulai mentioned that there is a way for humans to live without the genetic disorders, without Don Kali. Um, Jodha's introduced itself and explained it was an Ulai, the mixed ones, male and female in one body. Uh, that's what the man responded to as... Um, mm-hmm. To be fair, uh, Jodas actually kept dodging his questions. And here's a bit of a paragraph mm. from the book. Why are you here? You said your people would come eventually. Why are you doing here? What are you doing here now? Nothing harmful. Do you want her? What? I waited. <laughs> he had heard the question. Now let him absorb it. Her was easy. I could start it in an afterthought. He put his head against my chest. I don't understand, he said. I don't even understand my own feelings. Much later, he said, of course I want hair. I want skin and not scales. I want hair. I want height. Uh, I want to be a man. I mean, <laughs> this whole dialogue so far, like, mm. Jodas keeps asking, like, oh, do you want to be healed? Do you want hair? It's like, and man's like, who are you? What is like, it's just like, is this conversation like two people, like, I don't know, two deaf people talking and then complete two different things. It's just like, really? Yeah, they just seem to sort of more or less ignoring... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the questions, right? Yeah. Just, uh, uh, but just sort a... of showing up and being like, I can fix all of these various problems that you have. And then, okay, <laughs> cool. Who are like, you? Would you like yeah, her? Um, mm-hmm. huh? yeah, so what? what um, like, is there, is there any, any catch here? Any downside for this? Because this seems well, like a pretty good deal. <laughs> the big catch is that the man was also affected probably by the Uloi pheromones because, you know, exactly. after like, like mm-hmm. calming down and putting his head against the chest, he's like, I don't understand what's going on. It's like... Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Onkali world, kiddo. Mm-hmm. And we, we get quite a bit of that throughout this next section with the whole um, know, people going, like, oh, yeah. hang on a second. Like, Why? Like, before they showed up, we had this whole thing where like we think they're devils and we hate them and we don't want to be anything to do with them, but now they're here and they seem cool. Exactly. Like, that's, that's, doesn't, that doesn't add up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's... Um, mm-hmm. It, it, oh, uh, once we get to it, uh, I have a, just reminded me of something, but yeah, it's just like, this whole conversation is really cute, and it's really funny, because he later, like, you know, him the man is like, I want to be a man, and it's just, Jodas is just like, mm, yeah, my, you know, as you put in the quote, and my first impulse was to point out that he was a man, his male organs were well developed, I'm like, 
Yeah, Jodas. I mean, your conversation it's... skills are like literally, as you said, Richard, speed zero. Probably my uh, negatives now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so slightly missing the the point there. It's like not not so much uh, a male, but a uh, man in the more uh, like gender and cultural sense, I yeah. suppose, is what he's getting at. Especially in this particular um, culture, right? Yeah. Where they seem to be intolerant of difference. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, they're living close to the edge in terms of resources. So anything that's uh, causes you to be weaker or more frail is likely to get you ostracized. Yeah. So yep, makes sense that you would. Uh, take up this offer in that no context. absolutely absolutely <laughs> the thing is though like um but in the same time as the like this is where sort of chapter ends but like it's also the way the book described it that jodas actually understood the man right because indeed it's even though with his lack of you know conversation skills it's still you know the ma jodas still treated the man through his sleep because and it did understand like that the man was willing to do it because he was so starved of, you know, human interaction, of human touch, of just touch in general, that of mm. someone's presence, that it didn't, you know, that didn't end up in violence or hatred because of how he looked, right? So it 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 was a crucial, you know, like if someone is so deprived of a, you know, because humans are social animals at the end mm -hmm. of the day, like if you're so deprived of, so, uh, you know, of social interaction, like it really does show that like any sort of positive um, behavior towards such person will often, often more, more often than not actually make them like yep. respond almost like puppies, like, like, oh, you know, like, and mm -hmm. of course, you know, the man was dragged by Don Califerman, so that also adds to it. Yeah. So it wouldn't be an interaction between two people in an Octavia Butler novel without there being like weird consent issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, so, like, it, it it's you know, a fairly unambiguously positive thing for for this guy to get all this stuff fixed um, from like the perspective of his health and uh, all the rest of it, and yeah. like social acceptance or at least based on those things but getting it from the oakali not so much but yeah it also makes total sense that uh the way that this is being offered to him is not entirely i think this is not going to meet the definition of informed consent for many uh, many thinkers on that subject because oh, absolutely the, the, absolutely the, the dynamic between uh him and uh um and jordas in this scenario so yeah yeah that's uh, it's yeah this whole interaction is just one big almost a comedy sketch in a way i would say i mean like yeah if we have for any international listeners remember we're in britain we have a fairly dark sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> yes so, yeah it's a little bit of a um uh yeah fairly twisted comedy i mean very monty python like sort of you know with uh dark comedy but yeah mm -hmm. let's that's basically where the chapter ends and uh, maybe let's get to my chapter eight prediction uh yeah, yeah. so obviously air downstairs who knows what it's doing to do the pair of the humans while Jodis is healing another man and I'm I was like 100% sure they're gonna get caught somehow like you know the man the Jodis was healing Somehow okay, mm -hmm. but I felt like if they went downstairs, the you know to 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 air like air is gonna be like crucified upside down, surrounded by people with guns or something. It's something like really awful along these ways. Yeah, 
Uh, well, yeah, we never, we didn't quite get that. I think the 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 watches change too infrequently for them to be caught in this particular scenario. Yeah, it seems. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like it was <laughs> definitely a possibility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So let's get chapter 8's summary. Um, The -hmm. next morning, Jodas and other humans talked about the changes. The fact the man uh, had smooth skin now, literally smooth skin from Fallout 3, um, (laughs) and uh, had full of hair, uh, but still broken nose. uh, But some of the problems he had, like broken nose would take some time, and growing up, again, that would require even more time. so that would have to be postponed. So the man introduced himself as Santos Ibarra Ruiz. Um, Jodas asked if anyone visits here, but the man's like, not really. And to be fair, like, this question was already He's, asked. Yeah. I mean, Jodas, please, <laughs> stop. He's li- living in a, like a small cave at the very tip of a mountain. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not just, like a high foot traffic area. Yeah. It's just like, Jodas, please stop. It's like, you know, emotional damage here. <laughs> yeah, good point, yeah. <laughs> so sh- shows up at this, guy, this guy's house and says, do you, look, do you live here because you're ugly, basically? And then it's like, are you expecting any visitors? It's just like, rub it in the wound. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even put it in that frame. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> The Uloi then introduced itself and explained it was it was an Uloi after Santos noticed that Onkali had four arms. Um, later in the morning, they went down to the cabin below to meet with Ayer and the two other humans. Uh, Ayer introduced Jodas, and this is a paragraph from the book. This is Jodas, my closest sibling, Ayer said. Without it, I would already be dead. Cool. It actually said, uh, my closest brother-sister, because that was the best either of us could do in Spanish. No wonder people like Santos thought we were hema- hemaf- hermaphroditic. God, I cannot pronounce. Yeah, uh, yeah, so hermaphroditic is a bit of a tricky one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think we kind of covered the the similar problem uh, a couple episodes ago, right? We couldn't figure out a number of the issues of how you deal with the Oankali in languages that don't yeah. have, yeah. Um, like, don't have an it equivalent that's ungendered. Oh, absolutely. Yes, we've, we have discussed this, so... Mm-hmm. Well, you know. So the, uh, one of the things that uh, I noticed in the segment is that Aeor kind of persists in, in speaking in, in Spanish so that uh, the humans can understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jodas keeps kind of uh, shifting the conversation back into Oankali or speaking in Oankali. And I wasn't entirely certain um, what that's showing. My kind of speculation was that, that um, Aeor had kind of internalized a bit of the advice that it got about how to um I don't know, attempt to respect its humans um yeah autonomy to some degree i mean it, it's a kind of like a a token way of doing that given the other aspects of I mean, the relationship but um <laughs> to be fair uh the general manners i believe is that if there's like hmm. an international setting you know there's people from all different Thai countries right obviously if Indeed. you're talking to someone who is speaking the same language just conversation like a brief you know it's fine but in general if hmm. you're talking about something even if there's like one person who doesn't understand you should speak a language that everyone can understand right hmm. it's if just that's, common manners option, then it's just Fairly polite, yeah. yeah. Although we did, we did establish that manners aren't exactly the strongest. Uh, that's why I was going aiming towards. 
And I think, you know, that was, mm. but Onkali are known for, like, you know, just in the go, like, just uh, destroyed the human, you know, psych, uh, psych, you know, completely by, you know, calling him mm. ugly. And now, obviously, Jodas was trying to figure out, like, trying to, like, you know, sneakily answer, you know, talk to Air, but Air seems to be like, mm. okay, full on, you know, these are my humans, I will do, as you said, you know, like, try to communicate to, to you know, everyone can understand type of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it it's trying to be um, sort of upfront with its communication, yeah. so that it the the humans are, um, uh, we are friendly aliens. We are friendly it, aliens. And yeah, you know. yeah. It's um, so it might be that um, Jodas was initially just um, kind of uh, unsure of how much the the humans had sort yeah. of bought into the whole. Yeah. Um, we're going to go away with uh, um, Aor thing and then Aeor was just you know clarifying that that's uh the case but then it, it sort of it happens again a couple of times in in the rest of the scene so it, it it's still Jodas sort of reverting to Spanish uh, reverting to Oankali when when Spanish was an option so mm. I thought it might potentially be trying to show that that Jodas is a bit um distracted um and not sort of prioritizing this stuff because yeah. it's it's tense because it's away from from its humans yes exactly um, mm, but, I, I can see that yeah mm. Yeah. It could be. Could be that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. There is a, a sort of a general tendency for people to be, you know, um, snappy and a bit less like respectful of the wishes of others when when they're under some kind of stress on, uh, on their yes. own, right? So, so yeah. I think that that might be how how Jordas is showing stress. I it could be yes, it could be. Uh, but yeah, Air introduced the humans, Javier and Paz, and they were already a couple. When Paz uh, asks Santos if he's well, he only barked back at her. I mean, after a morning like that with Jodas, I'm not surprised. Uh, it's yeah, and, uh, I, I, I think it's... Uh, I, I get the general impression from Santos that he was kind of um, prickly and uh, grumpy. He developed sort of a um, you know defensive outer shell to, to deal exactly. with uh, his situation. So, yeah, it yeah, makes it absolutely makes sense because it seems the man was always vilified that on some way probably the mm. way it, it you know he looked different to other you know disfigured humans in the, uh, in the you know around and that's why you mm. know the only way to respond was to fight back in this sort of like you know mm. uh as you said prickly manner um but yeah Jodas asked the couple if there is anyone coming up here and no not until tomorrow um but by then probably they would be all gone that outrages Santos because all their lives they were warned up against Onkali and suddenly they are so happy to join them. Um, Paz, on the other side, on, their, on the other hand, wanted to go. They were, you know, they weren't children anymore and they were tired to see their own children die grossly dis- disformed. Uh, mm. So, but yes, this is uh, as you mentioned. Like, uh, there's this conversation. She's like, I think it's Paz or Javier. I think it's Javier. Like, says like, you know, they are interesting it's like it reminded me the scene from rick and morty when um summer's friend is visiting her and like uh uh what's summer's father's name i always forget uh, uh, oh jerry jerry jerry's doing beekeeping outside and he's and she's like <laughs> and she's like oh your dad is such a dork uh mm, and then just like how old is he? Obviously, a beekeeping age. <laughs> what the fuck that means? <laughs> and like, 
and just the conversation is like, Summer, I want to fuck your father. Oh, really? <laughs> I would never have guessed that. So, like, literally the same uh, sort of attitude, just like, you know, like, hmm, that will sound interesting. And it's just like, okay, um, yeah. cool. But it also has a, a kind of slightly, like, spacey feel, right? It's almost like they're, they're, um, they have this w- weird, like, cognitive dissonance they're trying to deal with because they're, like, you know, they ha- they they emotionally feel because of all of the you know the pheromones and stuff that yep. they want to do this thing with the the uncard, but they're like hang on but this is not like at all consistent with all these other things that we know intellectually yeah exactly so sort of they're kind of like oh we want to do this and they're like oh but hang on a minute that's the- yes yeah, so there's this whole like weird disconnect thing going on with their their thought processes and they're just sort of stumbling over that um which yeah um I mean, we, we've seen it before <laughs> yeah it's obvious and obviously air is not gonna say anything because it would lose its opportunity to um to have human mates mm-hmm. so that's that's yeah. that's it but yeah it, as as, uh, as usual we're getting it now more from the owen carly perspective and when the when you hit when you are sort of inside the Uloi's heads and they're interacting with the humans um the like injection of the Uloi um, compound, whatever it is that they uh, sort of stick you with when they're interfacing with your nervous system, is not something that they seem to have a lot of conscious control over. Mm. Right? It's just a, it's something that happens when they do that to to humans when they're trying to you know, intervene in their biology in some sense. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't to them feel like a big deal or even a deliberate choice. So the they have a sort of illusion of transparency thing where. Uh, to them, the humans seem to be, you know, perfectly willing to do all this stuff in in all of their kind of outward behaviors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and it's not necessarily their uh, anything that they're doing per se that that they notice as being a big deal at any rate uh, that's causing them to be like this. So it's a like it, it appears from the Owen Carly perspective as though the humans are kind of okay with this, even though they're not they're not as okay with this as the Owen Carly think they are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, it is, but I mean, we touched on this topic all the time, but like, yeah, this, uh, it's semi-conscious, but also being aware of what they're doing sort of situation. So it's still, Mm -hmm. mm, if, if I feel like if Don Cali came to the world before the war and, you know, Mm. we're like, oh, would you like to join us? And then suddenly like humans, they were like against it suddenly are like very, um, you know, change their suddenly change to go 180 degrees on their opinion about it people a lot of people mm. be like this is something's really wrong and we don't like this and um it would it would yeah, the conflict yeah. would be very quickly uh, established the Uncali in general don't seem very um like reflective or philosophical about this stuff right they just sort of it's a, another one of these situations where they're they're like biological and intellectual stuff is kind of closer or more aligned yeah right? they don't really no, i've i've not we've, we've not encountered any like moral philosophers among the owen carly as of mm. yet who are sort of you know examining critically what um you know the ethics of their uh you know, process of assimilating new species yeah. or anything yeah, yeah. Right? that's not a not a thing we've noticed in owen carly culture yeah, yeah. um so yeah i honestly mm, yeah it is something quite weird, I would say, in this case, mm. yeah. 
But yeah, Santos, apolo- Santos apologized to Paz, um, but asked why the Onkali are here then. Like, the Ulo is explained then. First, to find mates for air, and now second, uh, to rescue Jesus and Thomas. Um, luckily for Jodas, the couple knew where they were being kept. They went outside and showed the village to the Uloi. Jodas' mates were kept in the in a round building. There were rooms uh, in it and under it, and they were probably kept there and being interrogated to see if they betrayed the humans. Also, because of the human of the couple uh, disappearing, i.e. Jesus and Thomas, the villages mm. have increased the gun and ammunition production and the number of guards, so it'd be very difficult to get them out. Chapter ends here with Jodas telling them that they need to help, uh, you know, they need to help to get them away from here, but, uh, you know, Ayer and its new mates, they need to go out. They, they need to be, mm. be gone because they'll just distract uh, um, Jodas and, you know, Jodas needs to go in and try to infiltrate the village. And that's where the chapter ends. It seems as though uh, Jodas is, uh, thinks it's perfectly capable of just going in and, and retrieving um, uh, Thomas and Jesus on its own and doesn't want Aeor to expose itself to any additional risk yeah. with its, uh, yeah, its yeah. new mates. And, and I think uh, I think Santos is probably going to go off with, with them too. So that, Possibly, uh, yeah. Uh, when Jodas has, has got uh, Thomas and Jesus back, he can go and, uh, uh, can go and heal him. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, again, let's get to my chapter nine prediction because I mean we're all already <laughs> touched on it, and I generally thought that it's gonna be like a Mission Impossible, you know, a cue the Mission Impossible music, Jodas going full commando mode, like you know, sticking in, blending into the environment. I mean, they already uh, have changed their skin color to be more like the rocks around them. So I mean, it's already you know. Uh, doing it, camouflaging itself, but like trying to rescue mm. Tomas and Jesusa, but. I, I'll be honest, nothing mm-hmm. happened this episode, uh, chapter, nothing happened previous chapter. Octavia Butler's, you know, uh, laws dictate that if two chapters, uh, if, ma- if minimum two chapters have been nothing happening, that means the next chapter has to, the probability is exponential that something bad will happen. And I have this feeling that something bad will happen next, uh, you know, like the, they'll try to go down or something, mm. suddenly the guards are, arrive or something to those lines. Okay, so we've had a, a, a lull in, in catastrophic and or dangerous events. Yes. And so, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we must have uh, Absolutely. something to make up for that. 100%. <laughs> it's, it's just been too calm, too calm for Octavia not to, like, throw, I don't know, something at, uh, at the protagonists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Jordas, full commando mode, Mission Impossible. Yes. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Absolutely. <laughs> So yeah, uh, is there anything else for today? Um, I don't think so. Awesome. Well then, thank you very much everyone for listening. We are Xenothesis. You can find all the places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com. I was Michael Glinka. And I was Richard Jackson. Goodbye. Goodbye.